0: I thought I'd find us a little background music.
1: Good idea. Looking for some more opera?
0: Heck no. The one the other night was my first and last. I was dragged to it by one of my converts. Oop. There we go.
1: Converts, you say?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm one of the truth bringers. I was ordained by Brother Carmichael himself, the evangelist. I go door to door, spreading his word. Listen, do you mind my asking something? Have you heard the truth?
1: (laughs) Something tells me I'm about to.
2: The whole episode, he's been trying to uh, get to know her and maybe go on a date with her and have a good time, and they have a good time, and then uh, the big reveal. would you like to hear the truth? I think you're about to tell me. Guess what we're talking about today? When it comes to speaking about him, I would dare say what we think of is maybe coming off that way. And I'm pretty also sure that, um, that we think that's how people see us. <laughs> I bet you're going to tell me. We, we've been... For 10 months asking the question who is the Holy Spirit what does it mean to believe in him what does it mean to appeal to him what does it mean to seek him and find rest in him and I would say that for the most part we have considered the Holy Spirit in two dimensions personally what he does in each one of us and also communally what he does among us that's it and those are certainly two primary ways in which we understand him and perhaps one blind spot or one thing that we've not given as much attention to in these last 10 months is to consider another if not even more important and intentional dimension of the spirit's work and that is not personal not communal but public that the spirit has a public purpose it is not reserved for just you it is not he is not reserved for just us he has an intention both in you and among us and beyond you and beyond us. What is that? What does it look like? We want to conclude our consideration, our pause. We'll never be done with the Holy Spirit, thank goodness, thank Him. But we do want to finish this part and then transition to a new theme starting next week by asking ourselves this question, what is the Spirit's public purpose? And we're going to listen to two passages in the book of Acts one from chapter 1, and then skip forward to an event that happens in chapter 4. We want to consider the public purpose of the Spirit in three ways. What is His public purpose for us? What is His public purpose in us? What is His public purpose through us? It's not going to be complicated. You can probably see it coming a mile away. But He has a public purpose for us, in us, through us. That's where we're going to go. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1 of all places. Would you stand We'll read there, and then we'll skip over to chapter 4. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had been given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then later in chapter four, after several things occur, which we will refer to in due course. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Acts is the sequel to Luke. Luke wrote them both. Luke is all about the life and teaching of Jesus. You heard him say there about that first book in 1 chapter 1, I made it upon myself uh, He's writing to a doctor, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's That's what Luke does, who himself was a doctor, in writing the book of Luke. Acts transitions. It transitions its focus. Surely Jesus is in view on the front end, but it's called Acts, and by church tradition it speaks primarily of the acts of the apostles, even though it would probably be more appropriate to say that what the book of Acts is is the acts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes center stage. Jesus gives commands, you heard there, through the Spirit. And then it says, from Jesus' own words, John baptized you with water, but soon you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who have not been with us, or who have never darkened the doorstep of a church, you go, well, isn't that spooky? Get it? Spooky? Spirit? Get it? What's that for? For what purpose? Just to sort of add a certain color, a certain gravitas? What's that all about? What have we learned about what the Spirit has done? Why does it matter that the Spirit was at the beginning of creation to form and fill all things? Why was the Spirit said to overshadow the Virgin Mary such that conceived in her womb was the one who was both God and man? Why is the Spirit the one who helps Jesus grow in spirit and in truth and in stature and in wisdom, who sets him apart at his own baptism? And declares him to be the very son of God and who then leads him into temptation and helps him in the midst of temptation with the accuser in the wilderness? Why do we learn that the spirit is the one that inspires the best words of God and what we find in the text? Why do we hear that the spirit is the one that works in the human heart to bring about what is, can only be compared to a second birth? Why is the Spirit the one who indwells those whose faith is in Him and means to confirm to us this truth? As I just said in our new members class, this truth. You have nothing to prove to the Lord. But on the basis of what He has proven to you in His love, how that will fall upon you is to the desire to please Him because you have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. That the Spirit confirms to you to remind you that you are children. Why does the Spirit seek to create in us the very character, what we've called the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus in us? Why does the Spirit give gifts to the church to be noticed, to be nudged, to be nurtured and given for the upbuilding of this church? Why? And then why for the last several weeks have we said the Spirit is involved in the soul's renewal, the Spirit involved in the preached word, the Spirit involved over the last two weeks about the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Why? For this greater reason, that we might speak. The Spirit of God, who indwells those whose faith is in Jesus, because of the work of the Spirit in them to believe Him, to be persuaded of His truth and of His glory and of His love, for what end? His public purpose for us is that we would bear witness that in our speaking and in our doing, we would demonstrate to the world that we believe that Jesus was sent, that he was more than just a wise figure, more than just a tragic figure, more than one who, to borrow a line from the last century's words about theology, one who had a God consciousness and was really tuned into that, that was more than just somebody that was in the wrong place at the wrong time and succumbed to a certain number sequence of tragic events. We would bear witness to the idea that he has come for us. In chapter, in verse six, there, the disciples are all surrounding Jesus. It's after the resurrection, and they're all like, Here's the chance. And they ask him a question. Are you coming? Oh, see, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What's that's a layered question. Israel was at one time one nation under God, indivisible. And then it went badly. Overtaken by idolatry, overtaken by all sorts of possibilities, alternatives to what God had had for them. They are torn asunder. They are exiled. They are bewildered, astonished, disillusioned about what has happened to them. Eventually, the Lord's providence allows them to return to their land, the land that was promised them. They begin to rebuild. They build a new temple. And the young ones are like, hooray, look, we're getting back together again. And the older people are like weeping because they knew what it once was. And they knew what was starting was such a far cry from what it had been. But now Israel was back in its own land. And to the point of which we're talking about here where the disciples are asking Jesus a question. Yep, Israel's back in its place. It's got a temple there, the second temple. But what's happened? Ever since the exile, there has never been a time in which Israel was not under the thumb of some foreign power. And therefore, every Israelite, every Jew was longing for the day when they would have their own autonomy, that they might live as the people of God without supervision, without constraint, without correction. So we get it. Jesus' response to them validates that appreciation and that expectation. He doesn't, it's not, there's no plan B. That'll happen in some form or fashion. And that's its own sermon series, not today. But then he clarifies for them what's going to happen the sequence of events. He's going to recalibrate their expectation. And so he says there in verse seven and verse eight, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is their expectation, that God was going to exercise his power to restore the kingdom. And Jesus says, that's right." However. Instead of God simply exercising his power on behalf of them, God is now going to exercise his power through them, not without their participation. They thought they were going to get to be spectators, but now they get to be players. You thought you were going to be up in the stands. Congratulations, you're going to be on the field. This is your will. This is your world. This is the way, this is the place. His public purpose for you is that you would bear witnesses. You have a public purpose. That public purpose is for bearing witness, of speaking and demonstrating the claim of God on you. And that's going to require power. And you hear that, and most people do, which is why I led with the Fraser clip, thinking, no way, I ain't ain't doing that on a date. Whatever I'm not going to say. Do you want to know the truth? Let me tell you all about it. Like we, because you know, modern world cringe. What's going on? What? How are we to think about that? I hope that you all noticed there in chapter four. It, the what's happened in chapter four is that they've been let in because of a miracle that has happened. More on that in a second. And those who are now scrutinizing them, threatening them, say, okay. Peter and John, you guys have no credentials. Um, you didn't. You didn't go to seminary, <laughs> so what could you possibly know, right? That's the impression. That's the impression that maybe a lot of people in this room think. Well, I, I'm never going to do that. I never could. I don't stand up in front of people and talk about public. I could never bear witness, no matter how much the Spirit's public purpose is for me. Ah. Eh. Even an atheist can do it. What do I mean? Some of you may know know the name Christopher Hitchens. He died about 15 years ago of uh, esophageal cancer. One of the most trenchant, brilliant British minds of the late 20th, early 21st century. And an outspoken critic of all things religious writes in the wake of um, 9-11 a book called God is Not Great and spent most of his days in many occasions, with certain, expe- certain exceptions, um, discrediting all forms of religious faith. Well, I want to I share with you a, an excerpt from an interview that he did about 15 years ago. As I prepared this, it snapped in my memory. It's, um, it is an interview with a woman who comes from a uh, more left-of-center theological perspective. And I am not sharing this with you to dunk on her or to dunk on the theological tradition of which she is part, I just want you to listen to Christopher Hitchens, who is an atheist, stridently, would gladly stand up here if we were here today and say, you all should go home as quickly as possible. Please reclaim the rest of your day and don't waste your time. That's where he would go. That's what he would think. And he would give you formidable answers why he believed that. Listen to this this sort of brief excerpt of him with this woman talking about, so what is faith in Jesus. Well, let me ask you this, when you speak of religion in your book, God is Not Great, it seems to me that you're generally referring to fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm I'm a liberal Christian, um, and I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion?
0: well only in this respect i would say that if you don't believe that jesus of nazareth was the christ in other words the messiah and that he rose again from the dead and that by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven you are really not in any meaningful sense a christian
2: well i i disagree with that i consider myself a christian i believe in the jesus story as story as narrative and jesus as a a a person Whose life is exemplary and that that I want to follow, but I do not believe in all that stuff that I just uh, just outlined.
0: Well, I, I simply have to tell you that uh, every every major Christian thinker and theologian has said that if, without the resurrection and without the forgiveness of sins, what I call the vicarious redemption, um, it's meaningless. In fact, it, it isn't. It, if it, without that, it isn't even a nice story. I,
2: look. Um, I am not here to create a, a cockfight between a Unitarian stream of thought and a, 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 we'll just call it a Protestant reform point of view. We can have that conversation. If you've seen the video this week about that young man in the college class sort of having a critical thinking moment with a student talking about JK Rowling, it's beautiful, it's brilliant, it's humble about sort of learning how to think and identify things and not get caught up and to slow your thinking down. And why I, I showcase him is because we can't, we don't get to make Jesus in our own image despite the fact that everybody comes from a point of view there is no pristine point of view there is still a way of arriving at a kind of consensus as to who is Jesus and what is he about and if you don't take him on his terms if you want to do like Thomas Jefferson did and cut out all the parts that dealt with supernaturalism and just let's leave Jesus' ethical life intact you can do that you can people do some of you in this room might you have it's a trade off and Here's Christopher Hitchens, who is no aficionado of Jesus, saying, let's just be honest with ourselves. Let's just be honest with the the, the material that we have in which to make a critically informed decision. If you don't believe that in him is the forgiveness of sins and that he was raised from the dead, that it's not Jesus you're talking about is some other version. And that's bearing witness. Now, he has no intention to try to change your mind. He's just trying to say, ma'am. Can we be honest? Can we just be honest here? That is what we're called to. You can disagree about all sorts of things, but our public purpose is to bear witness to the truth of him in that way. And all manner of things may come downstream from that. Those who are bearing witness in this first part, they are there to bring news. To borrow a line from Tim Keller, the gospel is not advice, it is news. It is what has happened, and the implications of what has happened for you, for me. To that, we bear witness, and it requires power. Power that does not naturally reside in you, power that does not naturally occur in you, power that you cannot just sort of manipulate up, power that must be given well in what sense if his public purpose is for us to bear witness to the claim that jesus is lord that he is god that his in him is his forgiveness and by his resurrection we have hope that though ye die yet shall ye live how does that power manifest well that's my last two points the spirit has a public purpose for us to bear witness but he second of all has a purpose in us and in chapter 1 he has spoken of that public purpose for us to bear witness. In chapters 2 and 3, a lot happens, some of which we have already documented in this series. In Acts chapter 2, there is an outpouring of the Spirit, and people who have never spoken certain foreign languages start to speak foreign languages of Jesus, such that it's beginning to fulfill the, the, the fragmentation of humanity, to bring them back to restoration. But then in Acts chapter 3, something happens. Peter and John walking in Jerusalem come to the gate called The Beautiful Gate, and there's a man who's been lame since birth. He's got nothing. Here's a, here's a painting of it by Raphael, The Healing of the Lame Man in Acts chapter 3. And he asks, Hey, you got anything? I got nothing. And I can't eat. I got nowhere to live. What'd you give me? And what do Peter and John say to him in Acts chapter 3? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, He does. And everybody pulls out their phones and goes, oh my gosh, look at that. And look, I'm in it. Can you see me? I I was there. They didn't do that. But they noticed it. And Peter seizes on the opportunity. Like, I'm delighted that this has happened for you. Power has gone out and it's gone out for you to be a picture of where the whole kingdom is going. To restore wholeness and shalom to the way things are. So now let me use this opportunity to point to the source of where this man's healing has come from. Let me still talk to you about Jesus. Well, it all goes badly then. Pushback, blowback, come with me, hauls him in before the Jewish ruling council, known as the Sanhedrin. And there uh, early uh, in the passage you heard that they said um, the boldness of the one uh, in chapter four where it says, when they had seen the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. First time of three times, you'll hear the word boldness. There it is. What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's not pretend or let's not assume too many things about what we mean by boldness. In that situation, they are speaking and then they are opposed, and then they are hauled in, and then they are threatened. If you speak further, it will go poorly for you. So they are options. So they're doing their own little cost-benefit analysis. Hmm. We all do it all the time. Most of the time, we're unconscious of it. I am. What do I value more? Fulfilling what I've been asked to do, to speak of what I've seen and I've heard, or to be silent and therefore protect my life. In their desire, their value, where they put a greater value, was in their desire to speak of that, to speak of him no matter what it cost them, rather than remaining silent. That's, in that situation, boldness. Let's, let's tease that out a little bit more here, though. I don't want to just sort of say, you should be bold. Oh, what? Here. You and I need to think of boldness kind of in two ways when you think about it. Boldness is in the most obvious sense, displacing an inclination toward timidity. What's the opposite of boldness? Timidity. Oh, no, I I could never do that, right? Which, what is that really? It is to value something more than speaking for him if the opportunity should present itself. Timidity in that case, when it comes to bearing witness would be, you know, I really, I, I care more about what you think of me or what you might think of me after I'm done that I will just you know, not bring it up. Boldness in that sense is valuing what the opportunity is and the privilege of being able to give voice to that rather than clamming up because you're afraid of what they might think. That's, that's one aspect of boldness. But, but now let's talk about another because there's a lot of you in this room, simply by virtue of temperament, upbringing, experience, vocation, Training. You are just temperamentally more forthright. <laughs> you, your problem is you don't care what anybody thinks. Um, you'll just say it. And sometimes, when it comes to thinking about bearing witness, uh, this boldness is is not simply resting upon your own sort of temperamental forthrightness. Because that sense, there is a way in which you can just sort of be bold. Look, um, uh, car salesmen, uh, pharmaceutical reps. Uh, anybody that says, I got a product to sell, let me tell you all about it. Uh, here we go. I, you know, take it or leave it, man. And you really don't care if they care about what you care about. You're just there. Uh, I've used this clip before. It's from The Big Kahuna, and that story is about a bunch of guys working for a company they are about to make a, they have the potential to make a big sale, in their industry, and one of them happens to be a Christian. And each time he has gone in to kind of close the deal with this big account. Every time he does it, he kind of gets sidetracked and starts talking about Jesus. And then he comes back and tells his fellow workmen, like, what are you doing? You're not here for that, right? And then there's this sort of moment of reflection where one of his co-workers, who's not a believer, says something to the Christian.
1: There's something I want to say to you. And I want you to listen very closely. Because it's very important. The man we just chased from here. We didn't chase anybody. The man who just left the room a moment ago. He's a very good friend of mine. But Larry matters very much. The reason being, I can trust him. I know I can trust him. He's honest. Is he honest? Or is he just blunt? He's honest, Bob. He's blunt as well. That sometimes is part of being because there are a lot of people who are blunt, but not honest. Larry is not one of those. Larry is an honest man. (sighs) You, too, are an honest man, Bob. I believe that, that somewhere down deep inside of you is something that strives to be honest. The question that you have to ask yourself is has it touched the whole of my life? What does that mean? That means that you preaching Jesus is no different than Larry or anybody else preaching lubricants. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep if you want to talk to somebody honestly as a human being ask him about his kids find out what his dreams are just to find out for no other reason because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation to steer it
2: it's not a conversation anymore. it's a pitch what I want to service that clip for to make that point is this there's a version of boldness that has absolutely no real interest or belief that the person with whom they might bear witness to is born in the image of God. It is just a pitch. And that's not the boldness that we see here. Boldness, if I could summarize it in a different way, it's this, it's holding together two things very tightly and never separating them. The love of the Lord and loving my neighbor as myself. There's a version of love for your neighbor that, as I've already alluded to, is really more worried about what they think of you, which then it really is about you and not about them. You think it's love, but it's not. It's just a timidity that's really masking a self-protectiveness. That's not a love of neighbor. But there's another version that's a love of God that is really just sort of trying to stick to the script and stick to the mandate, but that has absolutely no interest in their story, is not curious about their life, what they've suffered, what they've been through, what they hold to, how they've arrived at their sense of being, of well-being, of stability. There is a way that you can bear witness that couldn't care less about who you're doing it with. That's not boldness, and it's not love, and let Those two things never been torn asunder. Boldness that the Spirit means to work in you holds those two things together. To believe that we need Him. And I'll just say, with full concession, when Peter and John say, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. They're eyewitnesses. None of you in here are eyewitnesses. Neither am I. Some of you are old enough to be, but none of you were. <laughs> I know that. And he knows that. And Jesus saw you coming. Because Thomas's story gets enfolded into his story. I won't believe until I put my finger in his wounds. I won't believe until I put my finger in his side. And you know what? Jesus doesn't say, forget it. I'm not, no, you're out. You're off the team. He grants Thomas his wish and then says there in John chapter 20, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Peter takes a page from what John says, from what, Jesus quoting, what John quoting Jesus says in 1 Peter 1, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory there is a way of hearing of Him and of learning about Him that nevertheless redounds unto you, loving and rejoicing in Him. Well, where does that come from? It doesn't come from you, it comes from the Spirit. Your capacity to be persuaded of His truth, but even more so, He endears Himself to you by His love. That's, I can't create that for you. I can point that out to you and, and, let, and, and invite you to consider that if that's true, It's the spirit that allows us to love him and rejoice in him. Where does that all go? What's the point? The, the The public purpose is for us to bear witness. His public purpose in us is for boldness, but to what end? We're not simply to sort of pat ourselves on the back. Wasn't I bold today? Wasn't I a good boy? I kept the love of God and love of neighbor together. It's explained. It's implicit, though. What is his purpose through us that he might be bold in us it is that those who hear might believe not only that they would hear but that they would believe that they would find their rest and their resolve in him that they would come to see him as both true and beautiful as both necessary and blessed It is what you see documented in Acts chapter 8. Philip is drawn to this Ethiopian eunuch who's the member of uh, Queen Candace's cabinet. And right then and there, having read what Isaiah was talking about in the way of the one who was acquainted with sorrows and upon him the iniquity was laid upon us all. And in that moment, he was baptized. A chapter later, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has a vision. says, go see Peter. Peter has his vision. The moment happens... Cornelius is already a God-fearer. And one people could say, well, then just sort of leave him be. Why does he have to know anything more about Jesus? Well, apparently God was not satisfied with him just knowing what he knew about God. And so Cornelius comes to Peter and Peter fills him in on the rest of the story. Now you know. And there he baptizes Cornelius. And then later in Acts chapter 16, Lydia, an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, she dealt in purple fabrics, had apparently a pretty good Etsy page, She listens to Paul, and there in Acts, Christina says, she listens, and the Lord opened her heart to believe everything that Paul had said. She believes, and she immediately becomes of use to the church. Hey, come meet at my house. I'll take care of it. We'll do this. Trust me. Paul gets busted with his run-in with the law. He gets out, first person he thinks of. Let's go to Lydia's. In every one of these, something happens a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a new kind of identification with Jesus and it leads to a repentance into a new way. Repentance from sin and unto grace. And here's the thing. Bearing witness is involved in that belief being birthed, but that belief does not depend on the bearing witness. And what I mean by that is Remember what Paul says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words or plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I didn't coerce you into this. I didn't trick you into this. I didn't use all the right words and read the room and hit all the right notes and find all the right buttons and go there. This is a product of the spirit. It's the spirit's work through us. That belief does not rest upon whether you speak or how, or finding the perfect words with the perfect tone, with the perfect sentence structure. It doesn't. And you know what also doesn't? What also doesn't depend on whether you speak well or not? His love. His love for you is deathless. His love for you began before there was a you. His love for you began before he had to die for you. For God so loved the world when you mean after Jesus died or before? It's very much before. That's the gospel. Okay. You know what? That's a lot. What does it look like? What does it look like? You've heard a lot of thoughts and you've seen a lot of funny clips. And, but what it might look like in some sort of real time. Well, I'm glad you asked.
3: Sorry, dude contractor. So that's my life, man. The inspector was late, then the homeowner had a bunch of questions. I just appreciate you changing locations <laughs> last minute. Yeah, Don't worry about it,
0: man. I just got here, all right? I just, I yeah, appreciate you calling because I just haven't seen you in a while, man.
3: You know, I was thinking about that on the way over here. I was like, we call and we text all the time, but when's the last time we actually sat down, had a conversation, and grabbed a bite?
0: Ooh. Well, uh, two years ago uh, at Janie's birthday party, right? Oh yeah, we were we were uh, they were at the pool. We were cooking about a hundred hot dogs, and <laughs> we're talking about football, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, was that several what, years th- ago? Yeah, because she's a sen- she's a senior now.
3: Yeah, that's crazy. Her and Amy, how long that's been like playing soccer in the backyard, and then drama camps, and <sighs> what did the Now they're going to college?
0: Yeah. But they're still friends. You know, it's amazing, given the fact you guys sold and moved out of the neighborhood and all. So.
3: Well, you know we didn't want to leave. Oh, no. I I we had to take advantage of the market. It was hot. Cash in. <laughs> we found some cheap land. We were able to, you know, kind of upsize on the build, which made Jess happy. So.
0: Yeah, well, listen, we just really miss you. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, we had parties in the neighborhood. Oh! Oh, uh, a Super Bowl party. Mm. Yeah, hey, a Super Bowl party at our house. If you haven't made plans oh, and no, you can't yes. walk across
3: the street, but you can drive over. You know? uh, we are in, definitely. Okay. Jess and I were just talking about it the other night. We All were right. starting to make plans, so the timing is, like, perfect. Yeah, it's, like, providential. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, who are you pulling for?
0: Oh, Forty 49ers. I mean, I, I like Mahomes and Team Swifty, but I... I just want to see somebody else win. You know what I mean? And then there's Brock Purdy. I mean, nobody
3: wanted him in the draft. Two years
0: later, he's in the Super Bowl. It's like crazy. Yeah.
3: Like,
0: who are you rooting for?
3: It's same. So same thing, man. I like both guys. They're both great. So it's kind of hard to root against them. So I, you know, I think I'm just praying, pulling for you know a a really good game, like something that goes down to the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: listen. Anyway, time is tight. So what did you want to talk about?
3: Well, yeah, we. Uh, we can get there. I just no, 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 know, no. I thought we'd start with no, conversation. No, you called me.
0: You called me, and then you were really serious, and I'm like, kind of, what is it? So, you know, I mean, just go ahead. Well, it's not exactly that. It's you know, it's okay. Well, hang, hang on a second. Let me get a refill, then, and, and we'll we'll talk, right? Okay. So, so hang on. All right.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, hey, babe. How'd it go? I, I just sat down. I, I haven't talked to him yet. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Well, I just, you know, I thought I'd start with common interest, you know, like, and work into football, and then, you know, eventually get there. I mean, that, the website said start with common interest. So you have the tips up on your phone. Well, yeah, I have the tips up, but it all, one of the tips is like make eye contact, so I can't be obvious about it, you know. Well, don't take too long. He needs to hear your story. Nothing is more important. I know. So don't screw it up. What? Oh. Just kidding. You got this. Yeah, no pressure. <sighs> okay, man. All right. What do you want to talk about? Uh yeah, so um let's see. Um okay. If uh okay. If you died tonight. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> what? Well we're all gonna die. Oh,
0: so, yes, yeah, Carl Weathers, you know. He died a couple nights ago.
3: Well, Apollo Creed from Rocky. Yeah,
0: man, died in his sleep. You just, just, you just never know. Right, you never know. That's so right. I mean, you, 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 got this carrot in life, like you're, you're chasing after it, right? That time it doesn't make any difference, right? I mean, who cares, really? And then it's over. And then what about after that? Uh, right. So after that, I mean, so it's like no, 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 it's like we're searching in this world for something
3: the world can't offer. I'm like. Well, so, like, where are we supposed to get that? I mean, what, what do we do? Maybe it's something beyond this world, right? That's what C.S. Lewis said. So Who? who? Uh, C.S. Lewis. He, I, I think I saw that on, like, Instagram or Facebook. It
0: was like one of those... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. wait, wait, yeah. wait. That's the, uh, the, the Lion, and the Witch, in Narnia thing,
3: right? Yeah, but he used to give lectures. He was a Christian, but he used to be an atheist. Oh, and so... Oh, wait, wait. So he believes in nothing, and then he
0: believes somebody rose from the dead. <laughs> yeah,
3: I know. It's, it can be crazy. Like, who, who would believe that, huh? Like, yeah, well. well uh, but how do you do a 180? I, he I, believed he just walked out of the tomb. Oh. Like Yeah. Oh. Just, <laughs> just walked right out. I know. Yeah. So... Um, uh, How did he get there? Uh, well, Lewis. Um, let's see. I mean, so Lewis and uh, I think I read this somewhere that like Lewis and Tolkien were like f- friends. Like T- Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they were friends. C- Tolkien's a Christian. You know, Tolkien helped Lewis see that maybe, the, like, the story of Jesus is kind of the story underneath all stories. I think he was saying something like that. So.
0: Okay. So,
3: how did he come... I mean,
0: how, that doesn't make sense.
3: Well, I, you know, it's just me, blind squirrel, finding the nut. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, speaking about that
0: nut, I mean, like... Uh, all right, so you probably have some big land deal that you want me to be part of, and that's cool. Just well, tell yeah, me what it is.
3: Wow. Well, okay. Um, all right. We're, we're, we're friends, right? Yeah. Right. We're, yeah, we're, well, we're friends. Long time friends. And yeah. like, we can sit down, we can like, talk about anything and it's cool. And, well, I just, you know, I have this really big stuff going on in my life and it's made a big difference. And I, no, this, this is going crazy. Like, we used to make fun of people like this. Like, how do they what? believe in stories like this? Like, the guy gets up, walks out of the tomb, and how do you even prove something like that? Like, how, what, what's the, what, what are you talking about? Um. Look, I can't, like, I'm trying to, what I'm trying, I'm Look, try- look, look, look,
0: look. Just, 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 just tell it to me. Just give me
1: the pitch.
3: Last few years, uh, last few years have been really bad. Uh, I'm, my marriage, work. I mean, it's not just a late life crisis. Okay, it's like I, I, I hit bottom. I was, I was dead man walking, man. I'm not sure we were even going to make it. So.
0: I mean. Kevin, I, I I, I didn't know, man. I,
3: I yeah, just... yeah, nobody knew. I, you know, we hid it. We tried to hide it, pretend, you know, just go through the motions each day. But, I mean, I started asking questions like, what's it all mean? Like, is there even a carrot? You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so it was November 11th. Um, it was another bad day. Just on my way home from... Work stuck in traffic, you know, and saw one of those bumper stickers, you know, the religious ones that we used to make fun of, and yeah, yeah. So I started yelling at it, and then I started laughing. Like, well, who, what, who, what am I yelling at? You know, and I just, that I just pulled over, and I just sat there. I. and then i prayed and i'm not even sure why i prayed except i just i just had nothing left you know yeah
0: yeah uh, yeah more than you know
3: so anyways something someone I, I, let's look man this the story it's true man he's real i can't explain it he's so good uh, and i and i'm alive
1: well uh, you, uh tell me more about that yeah
2: bearing witness is not standing up and doing what I do on Sundays. It is sitting down and letting the pitch go and telling somebody about moments that brought you to your wit's end and of what keeps you from crawling into the fetal position and of what has reminded you of where your dignity derives and what you think about what keeps you from your regrets swallowing you whole, and of how you think that there actually might be something stronger than death, this is bearing witness. It's not pontificating, it's not preaching even. It is in the last words of Luther on his deathbed, yes, we all are beggars. Not looking down, not thinking poorly, not believing that you're any better than anybody else because you're not, but just believing that you have found in him a source of belonging and forgiveness and a belief that even in your, when your eyes close in death, that something begins like nothing has before. The last thing I wanna do for you in talking about the Holy Spirit is to give you a strategy on bearing witness. There's a place for noticing cultural trends There's a place for noting the kinds of questions that people are asking. There's a place for even Peter saying to you, have a ready defense for the hope that is in you should anybody ask. All of that's legit. I commend it to you. But if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to throw us back on the Holy Spirit to end a series on the Holy Spirit when it comes to bearing witness. And it's this, for you to pray, for me to pray, really simply, ready? Pray for the boldness that you do not naturally possess. A displacing of your timidity or a displacing of your capacity to just sort of make a pitch that doesn't care really whether they hear or listen. But then also pray for a belief that you cannot produce. It is not on you. And it never was. It wasn't even true for you that way. And what I don't have a bullet point for is this. Why? That you would pray for a sense of the beauty of who he is that you cannot repress. That's where it has to come from. This is not about simply, I got to follow my marching orders. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is the essence. I, I don't think that his love for me depends on how well I speak of him. And because I believe that love for me is true, that is what frees me up to maybe speak with love for them. Let's pray. Father, maybe it may it be to us as you have said, as it was to Jesus' mother, as it was to Peter who denied him and then was restored to him, and then spoke highly of him, even to the point of his own death. I would pray that you would help us not to be afraid of one another. I ask that you would help us not to value too much one's approval of myself or oneself. Most of all, Father, I would pray that by your spirit, we would be convinced over and as often as we need that we belong to you because of you. And that though we die, yet shall we live. Help us to speak from that place and that place alone. In Jesus' name, amen.